Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, the Boston-based Roxbury International Film Festival, or Roxfilm, is back for its 23rd annual event. After last year's fully virtual festival, festival organizers are offering both outside and online screenings to make the films accessible to all attendees. The Roxbury Film Festival, New England's biggest film fest dedicated to films by, for, and about people of color, kicked off Thursday with a roster of 80 films, along with panel discussions and live Q&As. And this year, more than ever, the festival is aiming to take a celebratory look at black folks in film. Joining me remotely, Lisa Simmons, director of the Roxbury International Film Festival. Hi, Lisa. Hello, Callie. Thank you for having me. Of course. Also with me, some of the filmmakers, Tato Mosa, director of the feature film Memoirs of a Black Girl, which was screened on the very first day of the festival. Welcome, Tato. Thank you, Callie. Thanks for having me. Also with me, Kaveri Call, director of The Bengali, to be shown on the closing day and a panelist for the festival. Hello, Kavari. Hi, Callie. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm delighted to have all of you. I've uh, watched both of your films, so let me start there and say, boy, were they good. So, Lisa, once again, you've knocked it out of the park, right? <laughs> <laughs> Way out of the park. I mean, I think this was an incredibly ambitious year. We have over 80 films uh, and for really great workshops and uh, live Q&As. So, um, yes, I would say out of the park, the ball has gone. <laughs> but what did uh, what were you thinking as you began to put this one together? Last year you had to delay. It was virtual. So now you're coming back um, into a kind of a new normal. What did you want to accomplish? I think we wanted to basically come back to what was a semblance of a new normal. I mean, our festival usually runs the last week in June, and we wanted to make sure we kept on track with that. So we didn't know what COVID was going to bring. We didn't know what opening was going to look like, but we knew that we had the possibility of at least doing outdoor screenings to sort of bring people together in in one space, which is how we all and should be watching films. And then, you know, we sort of said, we think things might be opening up a little more. Let's try to do some indoor screenings and see how that goes. And if people feel comfortable coming indoors, we're going to give them that option. But they'll also have the option to see those films uh, online. So I think we were thinking, let's see how much we can create a space for watching films together, but at the same time, make it accessible to those who didn't feel comfortable. So tell me how many films you have and... Um, usually you have a good mix of people who've been doing this a while and then some other people who may be kind of newbies. What's your mix this year? Absolutely. Uh, it's it's running the same mix as it usually does. It does. It's usually around 60, 40, 60 of new folks that are doing, um, and not so new, I'd say like has been in the business making films for about five years or so, some brand new. We have, you know, of course, our next generation shorts, which are our youth filmmakers, which is always exciting. Um, but we've got, you know, people like Yoruba, who's our opening night film, Yoruba Richin, so How It Feels to Be Free. And then we've got Tato, who 
also opened with Memoirs, who has been in our festival before. And then, you know, we have other people like Jen Shaw and Kaveri, who have been making films for some time. So, I mean, it's, it's, it is a mix. It's really exciting for us because we really focus on fiercely independent for those filmmakers who, you know, are really sort of like pushing the boundary, who are bringing stories to us that you've never heard or seen before, who are incredible storytellers. So that's what's really exciting about this year's festival. I mean, every festival is like that, but for this year, it seems like those stories about reconnecting with who mm. we are as mm. Black people, um, you know, going on journeys, uh, reclaiming our, our voice and our spaces is a lot what's in this year's festival. And there's about 80 of them. So there's there's something for everyone. <laughs> Very good. Well, let's turn to one of the filmmakers, Tato Mosa, uh, director of the feature film Memoirs of a Black Girl. Um, let's first hear a clip from the trailer of your film. I had my eyes on the prize. No one from Dudley has ever made it to Harvard. Just because I'm from the hood doesn't mean I can't go to Harvard, all right? I'll be the first. Believe that. My life was pretty good. I was the real black girl magic until it all fell apart. Have you been smoking weed? No, I never. Then who was it? Come on now, miss. I'm not ratting. You think they're going to give this scholarship to someone who has a history of smoking weed in school? Tato, I loved your film um, for all kinds of reasons. It's Certainly, it's well done. And it, what a delight to see all the spaces in Boston. Um, so well shot. So you could really, you know, just feel like you're a part of the neighborhood. I know that was your intent. Um, so you really have the city as a character in your film. Yes, I did. Um, and it was all intentional. I taught at a school in Roxbury for uh, about seven years. So I spent a lot of time in that area and I, I enjoyed the murals and the cafes, uh, frugal bookstore. So I wanted to capture that. I wanted to capture the essence of Roxbury, the beauty of Roxbury. And um, our cinematographer, John Adejoke, he lives in Roxbury, so he had the same vision, and it was really great to be on the same page with him in terms of how we wanted to depict uh, Roxbury and Dorchester areas. Sort of do like a counter image, uh, just on the amazing art that exists in the area and the cool places to hang out. Uh, we wanted it to be, you know, to be the way we see Roxbury, to a place where art is alive, um, and it's just a cool place to be. Mm -hmm. And your film, which is about young women uh, in school, in high school, who are struggling around all kinds of decisions uh, that they need to make in their lives, some of them quite tough, um, you, the, just seeing it through the eyes of... By the way, your actors are fabulous. Let me just say that. <laughs> they were so good. Yeah. They were we, so good. we lucked out. <laughs> they were so professional, so... Uh, and they all had the training, the passion. Um, we It was a great thing that we did auditions because we really... Uh, a lot of people showed up. And it just shows how much talent Boston has. No kidding. Uh, I So uh, talk to me about, I know that th this is your film, your vision, but you really involved uh, the students that you once taught in Boston in helping you frame this story and getting it, getting the, the dialogue just right. Yes. 
I did. Um, I actually, this film wasn't meant to be a feature when I first started. It was supposed to be like a class project that I wanted to write and have us shoot um, during, but it was just so difficult uh, at, at that point that I held on to the 20-page script over the years and um, and then I eventually expanded it. And I did involve my student because they read the first draft and at first they were laughing at how the dialogue was because they're like, miss, I don't talk like this. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of like, it really, because um, I think for me as a teacher, I didn't even think about it. I was just thinking, you know, like this is the way a, a character would express themselves, uh, but not really thinking about uh, how young students uh, speak. So they were really, really instrumental in uh, shaping the dialogue. Um, and it was fun to collaborate with them. And even just weeks before we shot, because um, I know the language changes so much. A year later, it's a different type of word. You mm -hmm. know, like I remember when, when kids used to say, Miss, your wig is nashed. <laughs> and I'll be like, uh, but I'm not. I'm not wearing a wig. They're like, no, 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 no. Women, your hair's really good, <laughs> you know. But they don't say that anymore. So uh, it's almost like every year there's a new thing, expression. So I looked at the the script. I think it was like a couple of weeks before we shot, and I was like, I, I, I'm certain that there's something that has changed in terms of the dialogue. So I mentor a lot of my students so I called up they actually are college graduates now I just called them up and I was like remember that script that you helped me way before you went to college <laughs> and they came over we had a barbecue and we, we did a table reading and they helped me once again they're like oh this line uh, I'll say it this way so it really did help to involve mm -hmm. my students and not only were they involved in helping with the dialogue um, I had a lot of students working behind the scenes and there were some students in front of the camera too. Um, I had two production assistants who are my former students. One was from uh, Brookline High School where I am currently teaching and the other one was from Medicine Park where I used to teach. Uh, they were working mm. the camera and then I had two actors from Brookline High School that uh, Rudy, one of the lead um bullies um, yes. is from Brookline High oh, School okay. and yeah. uh, the secretary in the office when Aisha goes for her interview is a former student of mine Isabella Courtney is from uh, Brookline High School and then the music that was provided in the soundtrack it's 99% my former students I just called all of them up the professional musicians um, and, and let them do their thing yeah exactly because <laughs> yeah. uh, we Producers and I, Jessica, Estelle and I were trying to um, figure out the sound of, uh, of the film because we knew this is a young people's film. Uh, we wanted it to sound like the sound of Boston mm -hmm. hip hop. And we, I'm old and she's a little old, so we couldn't figure out what young people listen to. We wanted it to reflect, um, you know, young high school students. Uh, so I just called up uh, my former students who I knew were making music and they were willing and excited to be part of this production. So the music that you hear is mostly from my former students. So that was a real blessing. The total package came together very well. Thank you. Uh, that's my guest, Tato Mosa. She is the director of the feature film Memoirs of a Black Girl, which is a part of the Roxbury Film Festival. 
this year. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm here with Lisa Simmons, director of the Roxbury International Film Festival, and also with me, Kavari Call, who is a Rocks film panelist and director of The Bengali. And we're all talking about the films at the festival this year, which are mostly uh, focused on going on a journey, as uh, Lisa has said. And uh, Kavari, your film definitely it takes us on a journey. <laughs> the Bengali is uh, a story I've never heard, which is the whole point of going to a film festival. <laughs> so, you know, and wow, I was blown away by the story and by how you pulled together the production. So give us the one line, which is the foundation of the piece. You know, the Bengali is uh, African-American writer Fatima Sheikh's journey to India in search of her family's past. Now, that makes it a very quirky uh, root story because her family's past lies in great part in India. And uh, it's the story of the Indian diaspora, the South Asian community in the United States. It's a story of the African-American community in the United States because the first men from India arrived here on the East Coast. They were welcomed into the African-American community. They married into that community. They built families that were African-American Indian. And uh, they created a dream of a future that linked our communities. And that's something we've forgotten. And the real uh, question is not only shouldn't we remember it, but why has it been forgotten? I never knew it. And by the way, the African-American community to which you refer is in New Orleans. And I have people in New Orleans. I have people all over Louisiana. I have never heard this story. Yeah, this happened all along the East Coast. New Orleans was, of course, a major port city when the men arrived at the end of the 19th century. So everyone headed there. But this happened in Charleston. This happened in New York. This happened all along the East Coast. And nobody's ever heard of it because it's remained untold. You know, I knew of it because I am an Indian-born American. And growing up, my mother, who was a history teacher, told me, you know, we aren't the first Indians to come here. There were others who came before us, but it's not in the history book. And actually, I have a Boston connection. I went to Harvard. The curriculum there didn't cover any of this. So it was just delightful when I met Fatima Sheikh and her family and was able to start work on this film that I knew I had to make. So we're going to take a listen, uh, a clip from your film. Uh, this is following Fatima Sheikh as she puts together or tries beginning to put together the long connection in New Orleans to India. I'm Bengali too. I came to America many years later with my family. Everyone acted as if they'd never seen Indians before. They had forgotten the men who came before us. We need to tell that story. It belongs to all of us. Oh, it's so beautiful, your film. Um, and all the surprising things that happens. You know, it reminded me, I'm sure other people have said this to you, a little bit of Alex Haley's root story, how the family, Fatima's family, held on to these stories. And then finally, she decided to go to India to trace that piece of the family. 
with those stories uh, in mind. Absolutely. You know, it is Ruth. It's a quirky Ruth, Ruth story. She goes on this strange quest. We don't know if she'll find family. We don't know if she'll find uh, the village he came from or the land he said he owned there. And what drew me to the story as a filmmaker is also that he was a legend in the family. He was a myth that held out hope to a family growing up in a segregated society. They felt they belonged somewhere in the world. They were connected. And uh, they held on to the story that maybe history, maybe memory, maybe myth. But that's what we all hold on to, especially communities like ours have been denied our history. You know, uh, Kavari, I was completely shocked when she got to India and went searching for documentation and the people pulled out these ancient papers that were crumbled but readable. Uh, who knew? I mean, it was really that that I was open mouthed at some of those scenes. <laughs> well, you know, they have the papers. Not everyone there in the villages can read the papers. So when they discover something, they call the one or two people around who can actually read it and say, what is this? What is this? But yes, they they have the papers in their chests. They don't even know that the papers are there. So they were just as delighted and surprised to find the papers and find out what the papers meant. You know, you know, uh, we were talking uh, with uh, Tato is you know, based her film on real life, but it's fictional. Your film is based on the real lives of these people, and it almost seems fictional because it's so mind-blowing <laughs> for those of us who knew nothing of this. It's pretty interesting. I found it very interesting. I was so delighted that we got somewhere in our search that the journey came back with real results. And it meant so much to Fatima and her family. That was wonderful. Lisa, that brings me back to you because not only are just these two films going on a journey, but as you said, that's you know part of your theme. It's celebratory this year. You really want, my oh boy, it's been a rough year as we, we've all experienced, um, particularly in African-American communities. So you want to highlight these films that are always by, for, and about people of color uh, in a celebratory way. And um, these these are amazing. These Just oh. these two we are talking about. <laughs> I mean, just the, I mean, exactly. I mean, these two, and, and, you know, it was, it's really great this year too. We have a, I feel like we have a record number of women filmmakers, um, ah. which is why we're doing a, a BIPOC women's independent film panel to discuss what it's like to, to navigate sort of the independent film world and the festival world as a person, as a woman of color. But, you know, there are, there's all these great hidden gems within this whole program and which is why, it's always so difficult for us to make these decisions about what's going to be in because it's like, oh my gosh, we got to find some place for that. Oh my gosh, we got to find some place for that. Uh, just because it's like these two stories uh, from these women is there are stories that you haven't heard of before. Mm -hmm. And we feel it's really important to bring those stories to life and to give them breath and to give them voice uh, because, you know, that's how we learn. Um, I think it's important to note that uh, you have built this Roxbury International Film Festival into a festival that um, yeah, you don't have to work so hard uh, to get all kinds of films. And each year, uh, most recently, you've been um, 
debuting a big film that a lot of people have interest in. I, I'll remind people a couple of years ago, the Toni Morrison film that hadn't been screened anywhere uh, was mm-hmm. at your festival. And this year, Summer of Soul. So let's listen to a, a clip from the trailer of Summer of Soul, which the opening film for your festival this year. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. So this film is highly anticipated because of uh, the guy who put it all together. Tell us who that Questlove. is. <laughs> Love. Uh, right. And the thing is, the, the thing about this film is, is it wasn't our opening. We're actually going to, we actually decided that we would, we would screen it during Juneteenth. Ah. Uh, in, in an outdoor screening wow. at, at the Museum of Fine Arts. Okay. It, it hasn't, it, it's actually opening in theaters, I think in July. And uh, now that everyone's coming back and going into the theaters, that's really exciting. Cause it is a, I saw it at Sundance on my screen. I, I wanted so much to see it in a big, huge setting because it's a, it really is a celebration of black life, of music, of the power of that music around a, a, a time, you know, where we all really needed that. Not that we don't need it now, of course we do, but I mean, that time is just so special and not cap, you know, you didn't know about it. I did again. Yeah. Another story that we didn't really know about that this happened at the same time, the, you know, they were landing on the moon. Here's this incredible concert going on in Harlem and two totally different um, groups of people experiencing that completely differently. And I love the way he brings that politics into it. Well, I mean, to have Quest Love behind this project uh, and to make it happen is really quite something. So the to have the buzzy film that everybody's talking about, even if they haven't seen it, um, kudos to you, Lisa Simmons. <laughs> Well, we're, we're, you know what? It's so funny because every year we're like, not again. But every year it's the same thing. We need to be here. We're here for filmmakers. We are a filmmakers festival. We want to make sure that we can bring those voices, those visions, you know, all of their hard work to a big screen. So it's, it's, there's consistent validation in the work uh, that they're doing. And the audiences here in Boston love it. Uh, they love to meet with the filmmakers and have conversations and we're going to keep doing this as long as we can. And uh, I think it's a really important part of the way that we share our stories. Well, Lisa Simmons, once again, you've done it. And I, I believe that the Roxbury uh, International Film Festival is now a signature piece of a Boston summer. So that's quite something as well. <laughs> so congratulations wow, to you. That's, that's nice to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Congratulations to you. Congratulations to um, all of the filmmakers. And I thank you all for joining me today. Thank, thank you, Kelly. Lisa Simmons is the director of the Roxbury International Film Festival. Tato Mosa directed the feature film Memoirs of a Black Girl. Kaveri Call directed the documentary The Bengali and is a panelist for this year's Rox Film. Well, that's it for this week's show. We're on the web at WGBH.org News, Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, and available for download wherever you get your podcasts. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Hannah Jubilee and Angela Yang, and engineered by Dave Goodman. Our intern is Iptisam Imaliki. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. See you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening.